This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Round of the break for the Celtics. Goes around the world. Oh, the circus came in about this. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you? Good, Tom. I gave myself a haircut. You can't really tell because it's in a like kind of pulled back right now, but I did cut my own hair. So I was I was wondering about that. Like, it, is it is it pulled back because you are not pleased with the results of your self haircut, or what's the uh, what's the situation there? So I have no regrets. I'm very happy I okay. did it. My hair was getting way too long and I just needed to cut off. I think I cut off like four or five inches. It's pulled back because it's incredibly uneven and it definitely <laughs> needs to be fixed. But gotcha. the hair has been cut off and it's not like it's it's tolerable. Okay. So this isn't like one of those, like you didn't give yourself one of those uh, bowl haircuts that are going viral right now. Right. Exactly. Like it's not catastrophic. Like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't go viral if I like posted a vlog of what happened. It just, it still just doesn't look good, but it'll do for however long we're stuck in quarantine. Gotcha. Yeah. My wife gave me a pretty good haircut actually. I still just like am wearing my hat all the time because I'm just used to wearing a hat now. Like it's just... (laughs) This is just who I am. I, I look like I'm one of those guys who's like trying to hide that he's going bald. And I'm not going bald. I'm, you know, I've got a nice head of hair, but uh, <laughs> it's always hidden. Nicole and I have a pretty fun episode today. We got, we got a chance to talk with uh, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, who does a, uh, a column, yeah. The Sports Q, in which he uh, just kind of asks one burning question. So we came up with 10 of them and uh, threw a bunch of them at him. Chad was great. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we will have our interview with Chad Finn of the Boston Globe. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. 
What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast, where Nicole and I are thrilled to be joined by Chad Finn of the Boston Globe. Chad, how you doing, man? I'm good. Staying indoors. How are you guys doing? Roughly same. the same. Yeah. <laughs> so Chad does this thing for Boston.com called the Sports Q, where he just poses a thought-provoking question <laughs> about the various Boston sports teams. So today we're going to do a couple of just pure Celtics sports cues if you will. So we'll start with the first one. Will Jason Tatum have a better career than Paul Pierce? That's a good one because uh, he's off to a better start, I think. I mean, Paul Pierce was really good right away. In 90, when they drafted him in 98, he was supposed to go a lot higher in the draft. There was talk of him going number two overall. Michael Ola Candy was the number one pick, and there was talk of him going number two, and it, it just didn't line up right because other teams had other players in mind, and he was one of the high lottery pick uh, great falls of all time. The Celtics really got lucky with him. It was the only luck they ever had with Rick Pitino was getting Pierce at 10 that year. And uh, he was really good right away. And they had some success early in his career. The uh, 02 team, 01, 02 teams were him and Antoine Walker chucking up a lot of shots and the rest of the team played good defense. And, uh, you know, they got to these finals one year. They lost twice to the New, New Jersey teams that were pretty good, Jason Kidd. But Pierce was really good right away. He had some great playoff games against the Sixers and Iverson in a game. I think it was a five or a seven. I can't remember how long the series was. But the day I got married, he had a 43-point game because I was keeping an eye on it out of uh, <laughs> a corner of my eye at the reception. But uh, Beep that he, So he was really good right away. But I think, I think Tatum's even better, just had the success he had as a rookie, the fall off, but then what he was doing this year before the game stopped. The, the thing is, Pierce did it for so long. And he went through these ebbs and flows of his career where – like in 0405, it looked like they were going to trade him. Danny would have traded him for Chris Paul in the draft uh, in 05. He wanted out at certain points. Um, Danny told me for a profile I did on him for the Globe magazine a few years ago that they almost traded him to Minnesota rather than getting Garnett here. They almost sent Pierce out there. That was actually in the discussion at one point because uh, the Celtics were trying to figure out what direction they were going to go. They won the right one, and Pierce had a, you know, they won in 08 and was, uh, became a Celtics legend. And to a generation of Celtics fans, he was there, Larry Bird. So there's a lot for Tatum to live up to, but I think he's off to a slightly better start. And I don't think he's going to have the peaks and valleys of his career that Pierce went through where he decided, uh, you know, if he really wanted to be in Boston or not. So I, I think he's on the right trend. I'm going to say Pierce just because how long he did it, but Tatum's got a shot. That's what was the defining thing for me was the amount of time that Paul Pierce was a Celtic. Like, I think that's an important characteristic of his career. And he won a championship like Tatum so early yeah. that it's just so hard. Even if he keeps up his numbers, if they never win a title and he's only here for like eight years, it's Paul Pierce, no question, I think, no matter how good his stats are and things like that. I tend, I think I tend to lean Tatum on this yeah. one, I, mostly because of what you said, Chad. I have a hard time seeing his peaks and valleys kind of going as high and low, or at least going as low as Pierce's did. He's already on such a good track. And I know that seems kind of crazy to say we're three seasons into his career and Paul Pierce had a Hall of Fame, you know, 20-whatever year NBA career. But I just, I just think that Tatum is – he's at a level right now where – you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll see if he has like a cold streak or something, but he's just been so good, you know, for such an extended period of his first three seasons that I kind of have a hard time. Well, I don't have a hard time, but I, I, I could see him, you know, surpassing Pierce, not without difficulty, but I, I, I could see a pretty plausible scenario in which he passes Pierce. He's not going to have the valleys Pierce did, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, Pierce got stabbed. He, he's lucky he's right. alive. <laughs> he got stabbed yeah. across his 
from the street, basically from MGH. So he, uh, you know, Tony Batie rushed him over there, and they they saved him. His leather jacket supposedly saved him. So uh, Tatum doesn't have that, which is fortunate so far. But you also think um, you think about kind of the lows of Pierce that playoff series was it was at oh five oh six where he the Pacers knock them out and he rips off his jersey leaving the court and he's got this huge tattoo across his back which nobody knew about and then he goes into the uh, press conference and you know he'd been hit I think it was by Jamal Tinsley but he had this wrap around his face and it was just a completely ridiculous scenario um, and there were a lot of questions I remember really respected reporters were questioning him at that point Jackie McMullen I think lit him up for his behavior after that series and may have even written that it was time for him to go and personally I never felt that way I always I always loved the guy. I felt like uh, he sort of embraced being what a Celtic was. And we watched him grow up here. I mean, we saw him come in from this kid. Who not, he grew up in Inglewood. He wanted nothing to do with Boston, um, nothing to do with being a Celtic. And in the end, 15 years later, he was kind of a quintessential Celtic who had these ups and downs. But in the end, man, he, you know, he, was, he, he did everything you ever would have hoped from him and won a championship and outdueled LeBron and outdueled Kobe and all these things. And uh, to me, Tatum's got the ability. He's like an elongated Pierce with his size and his skill set, and he's already got the kind of the old man game too that that Pierce always had. But um, you know, it's a long, long time to do it. Pierce did it in That's Boston for 15 yeah. seasons. That's more than Bobby I mean, Bird had. What 13 years here? Pierce played for a bunch of other teams, but it seems weird because we're always going to think of him as this classic Celtic, and he earned that. I think there's always the possibility too that like. Tatum could end up being the better player, but Pierce could be like, just from a narrative perspective, could just be like the greater Celtic. More beloved. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of, of why Pierce is beloved is because he was a part of that 08 team. I think that's probably fair to say that Tatum would probably need to win a title for that level. All right. Um, This is one of the tried and true sports cues. Who is your favorite obscure Celtic of all time? Oh, obscure Celtic. You gotta tell me what I answered on these things. Jeez. Um, It was probably, uh, I mean, I'm old. It was probably a uh, bench player they had back in the early 80s, a guy named Terry Durod. That was your answer, yeah. He's a garbage time all-star. He's like, uh, they've had a few of those. I don't know. Do they have somebody like that now? Comes in, lights it up. I don't think they really have that now. I mean, they have guys people have seen come in. You know, Taco, obviously. Scal was like that as a player where if it was Geno time, that was a guy you were looking for coming into the game. But Durod was a guy who'd come in, they'd be up 10, and he would come in and score like 10 points in four minutes and wouldn't pass to anybody. So <laughs> uh, I liked him. They don't have a guy that comes in and lights it up like that, and that was pretty cool. I always thought he should have played because he would have been an all-star, but that's that's not really how it works. <laughs> Well, a counterpoint on the taco is that everybody just feeds him when he comes in. So he kind of does come in and put up that's true. You know, yeah, six points because like nobody else is going to shoot. They're just going to make sure that he uh, gets his buckets. Uh, my answer for this one is always going to be Jordan Crawford. That dude just similar. And he had that one random stretch where he won Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And that's always talked about. I don't know. He was just fun. Like he was just a bucket getter. He had that hunched over style of play. And like he was, he was a, a bright spot on a very, uh, very bad team but he was one of the first signs of brad's nba genius I yes think. getting, <laughs> yeah, getting sure. something out of him yeah that uh and playing him at point guard too yeah but uh nicole who's your uh who's your favorite all-time uh, obscure celtic <laughs> he's not obscure in the realm of the nba but he's obscure i guess sort of in just the celtic sphere mine's Shaq. 
Uh, I just love that he was a Celtic and that he came to Boston and ended his career here. Obviously, it could have gone better. He ended up getting injured, but he did that thing in Harvard Square where he was like a Shaq chew, and I have always liked Shaq, so I just He had his flashes, too. He could still, I mean, he couldn't move at all, but he he could still play a little bit, and it was really frustrating. He was a much smarter basketball player than he got credit for, and he knew his limits at that point. But he just, he was so big, he couldn't keep his feet and heels healthy. But yeah, yeah, he had his moments. So that was, that season was LeBron's first season in Miami, and they played their opener that year. And Shaq played well that game for the Celtics. He, they, you could see where if he could stay healthy, they might have had a real shot at, uh, at winning the whole thing. But it just didn't work out. It feels like it never happened to me. It feels like a blip or a dream, but it was pretty cool when it happened. I just remember from that training camp, Nate Robinson putting on Shaq's shoes and like trying to run around the gym. I think he tried to dunk in Shaq's shoes one time. That was, that was pretty funny. That was, a, that was a bizarre squad. All right, next one. Will Marcus Smart be a Celtic for life? Well, Shaq was 36 before Marcus. So <laughs> yeah. if we're putting up 36 in the rafters someday, it'll be for Shaq and Marcus. But uh, I hope so. I mean, he... To me, there's a you can really judge a Celtics fan by how they feel about him. Yeah, like my dad is, I, my sports takes are not the same as his, <laughs> and he uh, he's always like, oh, he shoots too much, he's a gunner and all this stuff. And I, from those people, you know, you see him on social media all the time. You're not paying attention. You don't. You're not paying attention to the what he does on the court to help you win. You're not paying attention to what his his desire is, which is to win every game, no matter what. He shoots a lot because he thinks he's a good shooter. He's not a great shooter, but he's, I love his confidence. He's such a chemistry guy, such a good teammate, a good human being. Uh, He should be the easiest guy on the team to root for, especially if you know his backstory and some of the stuff that he's gone through in his life. And to me, I hope he plays his whole career here. I think he will. I mean, we know how Danny is, uh, where you know he would trade, he would trade Austin if he could get a you know better (laughs) front office person, but he. He loves Marcus for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, you know, he always says he's the guy that he would pick first in the pickup game because you don't want to play against him. Yeah. And if you watch these old Celtics games right now, Danny Ainge had a lot of Marcus in him. He wasn't the same player, but he had the same attitude. So you can see why he loves him. Uh, I think Marcus loves it here, too. Uh, I was a little worried about the last contract and whether someone, you know, somebody reported locally that the Kings are interested and we thought some other teams might go after him. And, Fortunately, he stayed. So I, I hope that remains the case. I'm going to say yes, because that guy is the Casey Jones of his era, the Don Chaney of his era, the Dennis Johnson of his era in a lot of ways. And um, I, I hope he's a Celtics for life because that's exa- he's exactly what a Celtics player should be. I, I tend to agree with you. I think he probably will be. I, I think you're... You're right on the money, too, when you say, like, look, like Danny would, would trade anybody if it improved the Celtics. And that's the thing with Marcus is there's so few – there's nobody who is his level of player who's, like, basically a role player, you know, a quasi-starter. There's nobody, like, at that level who's going to bring more value to the Celtics. So I think the only way that Marcus gets traded is if – like, I remember looking at the Jazz situation and thinking to myself, well – purely speculation, obviously, but just thinking to myself, like, well, Donovan Mitchell is really good friends with Tatum and Jalen, and if Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are beefing, maybe that's an area where the Celtics might say, here's a bunch of picks and Marcus Smart if you're interested for Donovan. Even that, that's hard to, that's hard to see because so many factors would have to work, you know, in tandem to get Smart off the team, and I don't think the Celtics are at any point looking to get Marcus off the team because they love him so much. So I think there are circumstances in which he would get traded, but they're just kind of hard to foresee. He's only 26, though. He's, you know, he's got a yep. ways to go here, so never know. 
No I doubt. feel like last free agency was really the junction where people thought that it was going to happen and that yeah. it seemed plausible that he was gone. But the fact that they were able to hang on to him and reach that deal, I think he probably has one more big contract and then I don't think money will really be that much of an issue. Under the new CBA that we might get after uh, all this coronavirus money is gone, money, money might be an issue constantly. But That's fair. <laughs> I do agree with you, Tom, that I don't think that there's anybody else. Maybe Pat Beverly is the closest comp, yeah. um, but across the league that does what he does in terms of. Yeah, and I think Pat Beverly is a close comp on the court, but I don't think that Beverly is the kind of locker. And not that Beverly's bad in the locker room by any means, but I mean, Smart does so much for your locker room too, just in terms of like, he's willing to call guys out, but like in a, you know, a respectful way if he needs to, like he's, he'll kind of do everything you need to do. He's like the de facto captain. I just think I, it just, it's so rare for a player to finish their entire career with one team, but. We'll see. All right. Next, which playoff run was more memorable, the 2017 or 2018? Um, I don't remember yesterday, so I have to think about that. <laughs> Probably 17, right? I mean, that was more unexpected. Finding out what you had with that group of guys, you didn't know that before that point in time. And I guess uh, what they did with in 18 was uh, maybe a little bit more expected. But I would probably say 17 just because that kind of came out of nowhere. Do you think that it was more unexpected just because 2018, obviously Kyrie and Gordon both went down. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I felt like they were going to lose to the Bucks in the first round with, with, with Giannis. And then obviously they, they got through them and it was like, okay, well, you know, that was a cute story, like way to get through Giannis. And now you're going <laughs> right. to, you know, now you're going to get like five piece by the Sixers and, and that's, you know, that's fine. But then, no, they just like went out and beat the pants off the Sixers too. Like, I don't know. That was a, and then they almost made the finals. Like that was a, that was a weird one. I don't know. I, I think I would go. I think I would go 2018 in part because like Terry Rozier looked like a potential future all-star and that was pretty <laughs> unexpected. I mean, either one. And the other thing, the other thing that makes 2017 so memorable, obviously was everything that happened with IT's sister. That's not going to be something I forget for a while. So I would go 2018 as well, just because one, I remember going into the first round teams wanted to get the seventh seed so they could play Boston. Like I remember I think it was Malcolm Brogdon said like, yeah, no, like we're very pleased with the matchup. Was, yeah. Like yep. we're looking forward to this and they definitely thought they had it wrapped up. And that seven game series was fantastic. There was the whole Bledsoe thing. Each series, I thought the level of competition was also a little higher compared to 2017. Like they faced the Bucks, a really tough team. That Sixers series was fantastic. And then even in game seven of the conference finals, it came down. Like it seemed like they had it until like the last, what was it? Like maybe like four or five minutes. Tatum dunked on LeBron that series, so. Right. Yeah, that Tatum didn't touch the ball after four minutes in that game. Yeah, yeah. Four exactly. minutes left. So yeah. they really had it up to that moment, and chemistry was still great at that point, so there was no drama. It was just, like, they were really playing with house money. It was just such an enjoyable experience to cover and watch. And the thing that got me in 17 was Olenek coming through against the Bullets <laughs> oh, for the Wizards. Was it 26 points? It was 25 or 26 in game seven. And yep. that was a great series because Bradley Beal and Wall were on top of their game. And yep. uh, that was, you know, Isaiah was obviously brilliant in that series. But it was like Jay Crowder hitting shots. Yeah. And I never expected Jay Crowder to hit anything after his first <laughs> couple of years here. And he came through in that game. I 18... Yeah, that's a good point about the level of competition, but I didn't have a, as much respect for that Bucks team as I do now because Joe Prunty was the coach, not Budenholzer. Right. And Budenholzer came in. He's a lot like Brad. You know, he's uh, he's got that Spurs background, and you saw what he did in Atlanta with that team. That you know, with Al and and Millsap and Corver and Teague that, that won a ton of games there. 
Um, he's, he came in and whipped that Bucks team into shape. That was a different team the next year. And obviously Giannis taking it to a, another level and then another, another level again the year after that. To me, uh, that series didn't surprise me, but what came after did. And um, I was surprised, too, in 17 that they battled Cleveland as much as they did. I mean, if you remember, they won them one game up there when Avery Bradley rattled in the corner three. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but the, the, the turning point in that series, I can't remember which game it was, but it was Kyrie just becoming unstoppable. Bradley was one of the guys who could guard him. Yep. There's, there's like clips of Bradley stand with every move Kyrie has. But uh, he took over in the middle periods of one of the games out in Cleveland. And that's when you realized, you know, they – they don't just have the best player in the series by far. They have the two best players in the series by far. But uh, to yeah. me, that that team was a little bit more of an overachiever, even with what eighteen went through. I think maybe, maybe I bought it with Tatum sooner than a lot of people did. You know that. Well, I, I certainly didn't expect him to do what he did in Game Seven, dunking on LeBron and hitting that three and looking like a guy who was ready to go toe to toe with LeBron down the stretch in that game. But I did see him as somebody who could be your uh, best option against a team like Milwaukee, with what Milwaukee was at that point. I'd forgotten about the Avery Bradley versus Kyrie thing because yeah. Bradley was the guy who could who could shut down guys like Kyrie. And then I think it was game three that you're talking about because if I recall, I think the Cavs won the first three games and then Marcus Smart just decided he was going to make like eight threes in game four and they ended up winning that game. But, right. like, but yeah, I mean, Kyrie was just disgusting in game three. Like there was just – you couldn't do anything about him. And yeah. you know, that, that was like the first time that I'd really heard Brad like truly just like you know he was always, he would always like praise opponents and talk about how great people were but he was just like even he seemed kind of shell-shocked by Kyrie after that game three which was kind of a kind of something to behold um, I got so duped by Kyrie in that series by the way because yeah. I never seen a guard his size finish at the rim like he does for you know creatively but you realized if you hadn't seen him a lot before that what a great shooter he was as well and then right. after the games he was fantastic in the press conferences and I'm like a praising the Celtics and talking about you know how well coached they are and you didn't know him at that point so you didn't know like what was behind it you know that he was being disingenuous and I remember the Cleveland reporters were like you know it's just Kyrie talking and saying nothing I was like no this is great stuff you know <laughs> yeah right we get a fill of it when he gets here and you you, you find out uh, those guys out there knew what they were talking about but he he was over the top in praising the Celtics back then I remember when the Celtics traded for him, I just had a flood of Cleveland beat writers in my DMs like, dude, good luck. Go. Like, have fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's was, great. Uh, you guys are wrong about him. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, uh, I, I said the same thing that you did. Like, I remember I DM'd a lot of them back because it was after the first press conference and I was tweeting out some of his quotes, which were bizarre. And uh, I like, and I was tweeting out those quotes and they were all like, oh, like, good luck. He's terrible. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, you know, he's a little weird, but he was given like great answers and everything. I think this is going to go fine. So, yeah. Himmelsbach actually pointed it out to me. Before you really know him, you listen to him and it sounds like he's being profound. Yeah. And then you read the transcript and it makes no sense. Or you're going through your tape and you're like, what can I use from this? <laughs> yeah, right. And, but it sounded good when he was with Cleveland. We, we figured it out, unfortunately, here a few months into it. Yeah. All right. Next one. Should Danny Ainge have his number retired or like the equivalent of what they do for executives, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, he's going to have a hall of fame case mm -hmm. because it's the, it's the basketball hall of fame. And if you look at it, he was a phenomenal college player at BYU had one of the all time tournament highlights dribbling through the whole Notre Dame defense to hit a buzzer beater in 81. It's still the years when we have an NCAA tournament, it's one of the things you always see a ton of times. Um, just uh, and he was a phenomenal player would have been a may have been the number one pick in the draft that year if he was going to play basketball and ended up being the 
Celtics second round pick, uh, one of Red's great heists when he was, you know, Danny was had a contract just to play baseball, the Blue Jays. He's been a coach and was a fairly short time, but six, successful with the Suns, even though he's best remembered for Robert Ory throwing a towel on his face on the bench. Um, executive before he came here, television personality. He was on TNT and was uh, really good at that. And then comes here and uh, wins a championship. And I know I hear from people saying, well, he's been here, what, 18, 19 years now, and he's only won one. But you need context in the NBA. You need to have a superstar to win. You really do. And and maybe two and maybe three, but it's, it's the sport where you need one of the best players, if not the best player in the game, to have a chance. And the Celtics were a disaster when he came here. And uh, he built up a pretty interesting team right away with the, the Pierce Walker. Well, he traded Walker to Dallas, but he had a, a team when he came in in 0102 that was fairly successful. They went down, but he drafted well, and getting out mm-hmm. Jefferson and Allen and, and Delonte in the one draft and, and uh, getting Rondo from the Suns with the 22nd pick uh, in 06 and, and uh, then pulled off the trade with Minnesota without giving up Rondo. They got them the championship and getting Ray Allen here, even with the disappointment of that number one pick that they didn't get that would have been Durant. So he's he's done a lot of things to build and rebuild without having, uh, you know, having LeBron or, or Curry or somebody like that on his side. He did go out and get KG, and they got a couple great years out of him, but um, he wasn't at the pinnacle of his career when they had him. So I think he's done a phenomenal job, and you can't judge him strictly on championships because that's uh, I think it's hardest to win one in the NBA compared to any other sports. So I'd say that. And then the other thing is he was a better player than people remember. And people are seeing that right now and they're watching these old games on NBC Sports Boston or whatever. You, you look at Danny and you say, 6'5", white guy, shooting guard, jump shots. That's all he did was shoot threes. He, he shot threes, uh, but people really didn't shoot threes then. And if you watch him play, he was out there running the court like anybody. I mean, he could really run and get out on that break and catch those bird passes and, and uh, knock down jumpers when he was the fourth or fifth option. And you know, the other four guys in the starting lineup from 86 are in the Hall of Fame. Walton, the six man's in the Hall of Fame. I think Danny's actually going to get there for his complete picture of what he's done in basketball when this is all, all said and done. I do think 44 goes up there. I think 44 goes up there partially for what he did as a player and the fifth starter and the greatest starting five of all time. But it's going to go up there for what he's done as an executive, too. And I think it's almost kind of a no-brainer at this point that it'll happen. Would you go with the 44 or would you go with Ainge kind of like the, you know, the, the Loshi or whatever, you know what I mean? Like to, just because like his does and it encompasses both playing career and uh, executive career as well. I put 44 up there and just acknowledge everything. I mean, that Losky thing. I mean, he, he basically was a goon. It was, he was Tommy Heinsohn without the basketball ability. He was just out there throwing elbows at people, but he was like a quintessential 50s, 60s Celtic type of guy, you know, just a very physical player it was very popular, but if we were going through the exercise of taking numbers down or nicknames down, that would be the first one on the list. It's a good down gotcha. there. I think Danny's work too, just like more recently, like the rebuild that began sort of with hiring Brad. I mean, just hiring Brad in general, that find I feel like was- Which nobody saw coming. Nobody saw exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And that was all Danny. Like I, I remember I did a story with Steve Paliuka about it and they were watching the Butler-Duke game in 2010 and Danny turns to- Pags and says the best coach in college basketball is on the court right now and Pags the Duke guy goes yeah coach K and Danny goes no it's Brad Stevens <laughs> Danny set him up exactly <laughs> yeah, did. I mean the fact that he even found Brad decided to hire Brad and then sort of what followed after I think they were supposed to rebuild but it 
ended up being a much quicker process, I think, than anybody would have expected. The standard for the Celtics seems to be like a lot of it is contextual. And yeah, Danny seems like a no brainer. All right. Well, we will do two more quick ones here. Who do you think is going to have the best career of the, uh, the current crop of rookies? Oh, well, that's a good one. Um, I guess it depends what we think best career is. I think Grant's going to be in the league for 12 years. I don't know yeah. if he's ever going to be a starter. I don't know if he's going to be a guy who averages 10 points a game or, you know, shoots 50% or anything like that. But I think he's going to end up being a guy who's a valuable player who sees time in um, important situations for really good teams. Like he's the, the seventh or eighth man on a Celtics team that has a real shot at winning a title. It's just uh, his basketball IQ is off the charts. He's a, he's, he's got some disadvantages he has to deal with just because of his height. And, you know, they're going to, it's going to probably be guarding bigger guys or quicker guys. So he's kind of a tweener in that way, but he makes up for it with his smarts, his basketball instincts and his knowledge of what they want him to do. And uh, he's, he's going to be that guy who you don't forget about him. If you're a fan of that team, if the Celtics go on to win a championship or two here in the next three or four or five years, you know, Grant's going to be a role player on that team. And, and 10 or 15 years after that, uh, it'll be kind of be forgotten that he was there by people around the NBA, but Celtics fans will always remember him because he did a, a lot of those things to help you win. It's kind of like, it's, it's not the same stage of his career and he's not the same player, but I could see him being sort of like what PJ Brown was in, uh, for mm. the 08 Celtics, where he hits a big shot on a nowhere here or there, makes the right pass at the right time. And I think that's sort of his destiny as an NBA player is to be a guy who's in the league for a long time because of his intelligence and his ability to do a lot of things the way his coaches wanted them done. Future Boston.com readers, he could end up being their favorite obscure Celtic of all time. <laughs> yeah, maybe it won't be that obscure either. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of how Celtics fans think of Leon Poe. I was just going to make had, that comparison, yeah. Yeah, he had the one awesome playoff game, you know, the game against yep. the Lakers, everybody remembers. But he was he was a guy who you think of Liam Poe, and he just puts a smile on your face. He, he got the ball in the post and never passed it, never went <laughs> up with a shot every time. But he somehow got his buckets in there and uh, was a tough guy and pissed off Phil Jackson. So uh, he's somebody Celtics fans always love. I could, see, I could see Grant having a longer career than him and being someone that uh, is thought of in a, in a similar way. Yeah, I think that's all probably true. I, I personally would go with Romeo just because I, I think that the, uh, the potential is really high there. I, I was fascinated by the fact that this year I, I watched him a little bit in high school and obviously quite a bit in college, and he was a garbage defender, just like a truly abysmal defender, really? especially in high school. He was a little bit better in college. People were starting to be like, okay, like he's okay. He's not going to be a minus at the NBA level. But I mean, especially in high school, it was like, this kid has no idea what he's doing. He's slow. He's, you know, whatever. And then he gets to the NBA and Brad's putting him on the court because he can kind of defend guys and he's defending hard and he's playing against like some stars and he's kind of holding his own. Like he's not always, sometimes he gets beat, but he's a rookie who's playing pretty well on the defensive end. So, I mean, the things that he could do really well, especially in college, you know, were just like handling the ball, getting to the rim, finishing around the rim. He got he earned some minutes in the Celtics rotation, even despite everything that happened to him early in the year with the injuries by being a spot like a spot up three point shooter who played defense. And I think that was pretty impressive, especially given all the other skills that he has that actually got him into the NBA. So I, I mean, I think that he has a a less clear path to being the best player. In the He's league. so young. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know how he does it. But I think that there's more there, whereas Grant, it's just like, it's, it's just obvious. Like, this guy is going to be a role player. He's going to make a lot of money and play in the NBA for a long time. So, yeah. I mean, I think it could go either way. I think that Romeo's potential and his ceiling is a little bit higher. And I think from what we've seen in his rookie season, you can see how he would accomplish that. 
Nicole, who you got? I would say Grant as well. I thought Grant's development, even just in his first year, I think is a really promising indication of what's to come as well. Romeo, I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up having like a better career, but there's just so much uncertain, at least for me, to see what's ahead of him. The trajectory, even next year, I wonder what he would be and what his yeah. playing time would look like. I don't know, but I feel like with Grant, you know. Yeah, he's... He's, he's pretty much a, he's kind of like a finished product. Like he's, he's Grant. You know what you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. He's going to play hard. He's going to defend hard. He's going to, he's going to crack Grant. some jokes in the locker room. Jason Tatum's going to yell at him in a loving way. It's all, uh, it's pretty predictable here. Last thing for chat here. Uh, and I think Nicole stole this directly from one of your uh, cues from back in 2017. Um, Figures. You know, the plagiarism at the Boston Globe is just out of control. Um, the, uh, Intrude plagiarism. <laughs> internally uh, yeah right exactly <laughs> who or what do you see as the celtics best asset in 2020 wow in 2020 it's probably tatum i mean i i lean toward the to brad and danny in this a little bit too just but i I'm, i think so highly of brad and i i get annoyed with the sort of the envy from some of the other coaches where you see in these surveys where you'll see like a unattributed comment like you know what's what's he won or that sort of thing and it's right, just completely right. out of context of what he's dealt with as a coach, you know, the, the rosters that he's had. And I, I, other than the bad Kyrie year, they've overachieved every season based on what wide expectations were. Uh, so he's up there. I'd be devastated if he ever went back to college or took, you know, followed Coach K at Duke or North Carolina or Indi went to Indiana or something like that um, because I think he's such an asset. And I think I feel the same way about Danny. I think he, he's one of the brightest basketball minds of this generation. He does a lot of the same things Red Auerbach did with a much higher degree of difficulty. He has to deal with salary cap. Uh, there aren't 10 moron owners around the league that you can take advantage of like, like Red did. And Danny has a reputation as somebody who wins most of his trades. So there's hesitance to deal with him in, in some parts and yet, uh, some ways. And yet he still manages to make these deals that really benefit the Celtics. Uh, so I like both those guys, but Tatum is such a high-end player, and it's a player's league. And the leap forward he took this year after, you know, treading water or uh, developing some bad habits last year, the leap forward he took this year and the, the willingness to fix what he was doing wrong last year and the maturities that he showed in doing it on top of all of his ability, uh, sky's the limit for him. He's going to be an all-NBA player at, uh, on one of those first, second, third teams. We don't know what the ceiling is with that, but – uh, he's a franchise player, a franchise cornerstone. He wants that uh, that weight on his shoulders, and he, he's shown as a young player that he's going to be capable of handling it. And those guys are hard to find. We talk about needing a superstar to win a title. He he looks like uh, he's going to be that superstar. And so, to me, he's the guy. Although we have to keep in mind too that uh, everybody else around the NBA won Markel false with that number one pick, and Danny I did uh, I did Tatum as the guy right away and turned it into another pick. So. If you're talking player, it's Tatum easily. If you're talking executive, uh, I'm I'm really glad to have Danny and Brad on the Celtics side as well. If you're if you're going to change the question slightly to their best trade asset, because obviously they're not going to trade Tatum, and you know yeah. you can't really trade Danny or Brad. Um, although Danny might try to trade himself at some point, we'll see. Um, <laughs> if you were going to uh, if you were going to limit it to that question, like what's the best pick or player that they might trade, where would you go? Memphis pick's not that great, right? What is that? Seventeen really now. Yeah, Seventeen. Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know. It might be Marcus with the, with the his highest on his contract is 14 million. Jalen's locked up. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a, a specific young player that's at the front of that. I think the, the easiest guy to trade would be Marcus, but I think that's also 
right after Tatum and Jalen with the deal Jalen has, Marcus is probably the least likely guy to go. So I would say probably those first round picks, even though they're not that high. I feel yeah. like you see Romeo's name in a lot of trade yeah. deals. Hollinger killed him. Did you see that? John Hollinger? It's not the guy I saw this year, no. especially based on what expectations were and the injury he dealt with last year. I thought it was unfair. I think that goes back to what you were saying before about context, where it's like, if you know the context around Romeo, it's like, well, his, his thumb was broken, so they had to fix his jump shot. And then, um, you know, the, he had all the sprained ankles and everything. He never really got into the rotation, so he never had a chance to. But then he was so good, you know, at times, especially in practice, that he worked his way into the rotation, despite being 19 and not really, you know, right. necessarily even knowing what he was doing. They were just like, you're, like, you're really talented. So you know, I think one of the things he said was that he had like six assists all year. And it's like, well, he didn't have the ball in his hands. Like that wasn't really right. He was standing in the do. corner. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, you know, I think it was one of those context things where a lot of things happens. And, and if you aren't like paying attention to every granular detail of the team at every granular second, then yeah, like, you know, he might've had like a disappointing rookie year, but the little flashes that he showed kind of presented a, a, a different picture, I think. Um, yeah. I agree with that. For sure. All right. Well, Chad, thanks again so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate that. We, uh, we would love to have you back on and uh, Nicole and I can try to come up with some, uh, some more questions to put you in a tough place. Um, <laughs> make sure you guys follow him on Twitter if you aren't already. We assume you are. But Chad, thanks again, man. Yeah, I probably have them all blocked anyway. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Follow Chad on Twitter to get yourself blocked. We'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>